When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. We are barely a week away from the season. College football is nigh, um, and I'm I'm not even counting like Nebraska, Illinois, or. Um, UCLA, somebody. Hawaii, come on. Okay. Connecticut, I think, plays as well. Uh, maybe against Fresno, but none of that matters. None of that matters. Uh, t- t- tell that to Scott Frost, uh, yeah. who might not have a job three days from now, that this doesn't matter. But go ahead. Notre Dame, a little more than a week away. Camp is over. Uh, we got a little bit of access to both Brian Polian and Brian Kelly this week. A l- some slight uh, practice access, which was basically a way to see if Tommy Reese was there following his emergency appendectomy on Monday. Um, he was watching film on his laptop Tuesday and back at practice, uh, but up at the up in the balcony level of the IAC with the media actually uh, on Wednesday. Uh, but before we get into some, uh, I think some national stuff as it ties to Notre Dame, this is sort of like hot assistant coach season list time for you know people like Bruce Feldman, Pete Thamel. Uh, and then at the end of the show, Matt and I are going to go game by game and give you our season predictions that I'm sure will be just dead on. But news today, uh, you know, unfortunately for Notre Dame was was bad. I, I came out with uh, players that talking to coaches and people around the program, I believe that made the biggest moves from, you know, August 1st to August 25th. Um, the guys that maybe not necessarily we're going to start, but the guys who showed the most to the staff this month and Maris Leofau was, was pretty high up my list. Um, I felt like he was in line for a breakout season. And then uh, today we learned, I was able to sort of source this out in the late morning that he had suffered, I think potentially multiple uh, serious lower body injuries. It's it's ankle. Yeah. It's ankle. I was able to confirm that before we got on. I, I don't know if it's broken. I assume it's broken. The only thing I got is he's going to be out for a long time, which obviously doesn't bode well for no um, Notre Dame, but that's unfortunate, especially this close to the season. And after everything you just said, and I'd heard as well, he really seemed to make strides this off season. Um, yeah. It was somebody that I actually spent some time with in late July when I was writing a story on uh, Myron Tungle by Loa. Most of Leofau came to that interview as well. And I was, I mean, I was struck how much more, mature and comfortable in his own skin he was, and then just physically how much bigger he was. Um, he looked like a legit division one inside linebacker opposed to sort of like a, an edge player uh, who was more comfortable in space and just like believed he was getting the system really like Marcus Freeman. Um, I think he could have had a, just a bang up junior year. Probably J.D. Bertrand replaces him in the lineup. Um, I know that some people, if you haven't really followed camp, Closely, you may think that that mm-hmm. would be Shane Simon's job. Um, based on the practice reps we've seen is absolutely not. Um, and Bertrand would be first off the bench unless they move Bo Bauer over there, which I 
I find unlikely just based on the number of plays we've seen Bertrand make. He, Bertrand like was also among the 10 guys on my list who I think had improved the most in the month of August. And I mean, you will look at Bertrand and not maybe see a, a dynamic athlete. And then you start watching him play. He blows up Kyron Williams on one play. He is able to drop into coverage on the next, break up a pass. Um, and even when he signed with Notre Dame, the word on him was like a real football nerd, um, just film room all the time, like will not be outworked in terms of off field preparation. And now there's a huge door open for him. I know that uh, the linebacker room was pretty close uh, and there's certainly, I think morning might be too strong, but you know, feel for Leaf out because of all the work they did put in, but Bertrand is Bertrand's your next guy up there. Uh, and you know, we've written a lot about this in, in training camp and talked about in this podcast. Like Notre Dame is unnaturally deep at linebacker. Now that's going to get tested. And Bertrand's probably the guy that's going to stress test that the stress test the stress stress test that first at Florida State. He had a midseason for yeah. one already. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that's a pleasant surprise in the sense that I don't think he was on anyone's radars a month ago. I mean, at the outside of camp, at least from outside the goop. And he's a guy who's really flashed in those limited practice units we've been able to see and who Brian Kelly and the rest of the coaching staff has really gone out of their way. And people within the building I've talked to, you know, privately have really gone out of their way to, to heap praises upon it. You know, it's unfortunate that his opportunity is likely coming through at the expense of someone else, but uh, you know, knock on wood, this is a sign of a strong, deep program. I mean, you know, the roof's not caving in when you suffer the, probable season ending injury at linebacker starting linebacker uh 10 days before the season um there are reinforcements there and um look forward to seeing what jd bertrand can do on the field because he's been a pleasant surprise to hear about the last couple of weeks yeah i don't know what um you know so your vibes talking to people around notre dame about the players who moved the most uh this month i mean austin was way up there he came up a lot um, lorenzo styles came up in, in different terms than Austin, certainly there's not an expectation that Lorenzo Styles is going to start as a freshman receiver, but there's a lot of expectation and hope around him. And then, you know, defensively, Riley Mills was way up there. But the, I mean, the guy that was sort of the five exclamation mark player uh, was Logan Diggs, freshman running back. And like, he's probably not going to be more than your fourth team back this year. If he, if he is, it's only because he will have surpassed Sebo Flemister, who's kind of a niche player, but that's um, they've had enough guys make moves uh, in August that, and especially on the offensive line, Blake Fisher, Michael Carmody, Zeke Carell were all mentioned to me um, by people in the Goog as very strong Augusts. And I think that if, if Notre Dame's offensive line is better than what we saw in the open practice last week, and the skill position players are as good as we think that they already are. Um, then I think this, to me, this offense has a, a chance to be very, very entertaining. Yeah. We talked a little bit about this right before we started recording, but um, I came into camp thinking this is a good football team. Don't know if they're going to be great. Obviously we won't know until we see them take the field and actual competition against opponents, but I've come out of this camp based on everything we've both seen and heard much more optimistic about this team uh, than I was, you know, four or five weeks ago. Um, a lot of those question marks have, have 
been answered as much as they can be answered through the field of competition on the practice field. I mean, the other name I would throw in there, he probably won't see the field at all this year, but <clears throat> excuse me, when you mentioned um, potential breakouts, Joe Alt, freshman offensive yeah. lineman, I heard is just a future star in the making. You know, he's not getting the, the buzz right now because he's not Blake Fisher and he's not starting at left tackle on day one, but that's a future NFL draft pick and one of the next great Notre Dame offensive linemen. We just may not get a chance to to see that this year, which is fine. It, it means that the guys ahead of him are are doing their jobs to a satis- satisfactory manner. But I, I definitely thought, you know, from the time they added Jack Cohn in January of this calendar mm-hmm. year to, you know, the end of spring, you know, tidbits for the summer. Yeah, this is a team that can probably win 10 games this year. And now, I mean, look, I'm not saying they're going to go run the table or anything, but I can very easily talk myself into an 11 and one season, which I, I just was not ready to go toward um, after the exodus of 2020. Yeah. And that's to me, I, I never, we'll get into season predictions here a little bit later in this pod, but like, I never have been a big, like, well, show me the loss kind of person. Like, mm-hmm. The fact that Notre Dame has more raw material than everybody on the schedule, to, that's not a reason to pick them to go 12 and 0 or 11 and 1 or even 10 and 2. Like, Notre Dame has to, like, they got to show you something that they can go out and be not just as good or slightly better, but a lot better than the teams on their schedule. And the way the offense looked in flashes, I'm not saying it's going to be like a, a 42 point per game offense, but it, it can't, I came out of camp thinking more of Notre Dame's offense than I did going into it. And instead of feeling like, well, Notre Dame could just sort of squeak by to get to nine and three or 10 and two. Now you're sort of thinking like, maybe they are that much better than Florida state. Like I've been sort of looking at Florida state as a trap game for a long time. And now I'm, now I'm kind of wondering like, well, maybe I'm kind of over overselling what, Florida State can do to Notre Dame's offense because maybe Notre Dame's offense is better than what I would have thought. So it's um, I don't know. There, there, there are many years where I feel like I sort of get swept up in the preseason optimism of college football, and then you're like, oh god, why, why did that happen? Um, but I do, I do feel like this this team this month answered probably more questions than most Brian Kelly teams do the month of August. Maybe it's because they had more to ask, but I do think they got a short of like corner. I think that they got quite a few answers this month. I agree completely with everything you said. And I'm also a big, like, show me the loss or show me the, you know, I, I hate predicting records based on schedule short of like you're playing undefeated number one Clemson and everyone knows how good they are. Um, I, I just don't like operating that way. Um, but I will say if there's a team that can't, you can at least try to like semi-correctly predict um, how they're going to play based on who's on that schedule. I do think it's Notre Dame football under Brian Kelly Yeah, over the last four going on five years right now. I mean, we all know the numbers, 32 straight wins against unranked opponents, 24 straight wins at home. Uh, three of the last four years, they've outperformed their preseason AP poll ranking. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're number nine this year. I don't think it's a stretch to think they're going to finish higher than nine um, by year's end. Um, I, I, don't know, I, just, I, I just feel a lot better about everything right now than I did a couple of weeks ago. Usually camp time, especially when we haven't seen this in person for almost two years now because of the pandemic, it's a time for overreaction and mm-hmm. like overly negative and injuries and, 
you know, why is this guy starting over that guy? Or why, you know, if this guy picks off that guy, is that look bad for the offense or good for the defense? I just have not gotten any of those types of vibes um, out of Notre Dame the past month. Um, I, I've come out of this feeling pretty darn good. And, you know, I, I, I always got sense you were a little bit higher or maybe more skeptical of the Florida State game than I was mm-hmm. coming in. I, I mean, it's it's a big spread. I'm not saying, you know, go – Lay all the money with Notre I still Dame right like now, I still don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know. From a betting point of view, nothing. Like Especially that. since we learned the announcers, um, Joe Texas Texas is back Tessator yeah. of the 2016 uh double overtime game. But um yeah, I just that was a game that never the Florida State game come out was never a game that really scared me or threatened me if I'm a Notre Dame fan. And you know, regardless of who comes out under center for Florida State uh in nine days, ten days. Um I, I just don't give them much of a shot against their name right now. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's uh, spin this into some news that was not news uh, because it wasn't anything at all. Um, as and It was Brian Kelly's uh, sort of roundtable at a golf pro-am. I believe it was in Lake Tahoe over the summer. Um, they had a discussion on race. It was Del Curry, Seth Curry. Um, I think it was Steph. Was it Seth? Steph. I, I, I'm sorry. Steph, yeah, Steph yeah, yeah. not Seth. Uh, and then I believe it was Vince Carter there. I believe so. Uh, and during the conversation about talking about representation from, I think, minorities in college football or just sort of management in sports, Brian Kelly referenced that my defense coordinator is black and he's going to be the next head coach. Uh, that was the quote. Um, you and I have both covered Brian Kelly. Uh, you and I have both covered Brian Kelly at golf outings. Um, where I feel like he's a little bit looser, um, you know, maybe not as precise as he would be while wearing a suit on a Monday behind a, a lectern in the goop. Um, I mean, I saw it, I heard it. I was like, uh, what? But then also like one, if Marcus Freeman did succeed Brian Kelly, that would not blow me away at all. What would make absolutely no sense is that that decision has already been made before Marcus Freeman coaches the game. Yeah, I mean, okay. you're exactly Thank right. You. I mean, it was – I learned about it because you texted me the other night and then when you saw it and then it started picking up steam and a bunch of people were tweeting about it and it became big message board fodder um, throughout the week. And look, understandably so, the head coach of Notre Dame goes on national TV and makes this declarative statement. I mean, anyone who doesn't know Brian Kelly and just sees Notre Dame football head coach say that, the name of the program I think was Race and Sports in America Conversations. Um, Brian Kelly said that and like – Look, the coach said it. He's going to – you think he speaks again Tuesday. He's going to get asked about it to at least clarify it on the record what he means by it because that's not something you can just kind of like have hanging out there um, <laughs> when, you know, there are a lot of other moving parts, as we've seen through our colleague Bruce Feldman and a number of other writers as kind of see, silly season, preseason head coach, head coach on the rise, assistant coach rankings. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the golf outing specifically because I immediately thought back to 2014 um, – Ryan Kelly golf outing. He was with Lou Holtz. I forget where in Illinois it was. 
but it was Olympia Fields. That's I thought I think of that. it was, it was okay. the first thing I thought of when this happened. He his I remember they're like last question. I asked him something about scheduling Michigan, and he just went all in, like, yeah, we're gonna get back on the schedule. Conversations are happening, I can't wait. And I immediately I'm at ESP at the time, I immediately go to Adam Rittenberg, who immediately emails Dave Brandon, the then Michigan AD, who like in direct quote, <laughs> immediately replies, like, we've had no conversations whatsoever. And then that night. There was a gala on top of that golf outing that I attended at the Drake Hotel. And one of the first fan questions of Kelly was about Michigan. He was like, Don't hold your breath. They're not coming back anytime soon. So we experienced that. Wasn't even, that wasn't even that was, the off the cuff Brian Kelly Olympia Field story that I thought of. I, which one? We were working around a table and then he came over and started talking about the new architecture of Notre Dame Stadium before the campus crossroads and how there was going to be a cutout in the north end zone so you could see touchdown Jesus from the field. Like he, he had like a, he had an architectural critique of the whole thing. And they were like, huh, all right, cool idea. And then Michael Birch, the SID at the time, no, ran, it over, was, ran over was like, no, 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 no. Like, he no, it wasn't that. He, well, maybe there was that too. No, it was, it, it was he, a different Olympia Fields. Event. He annou- no, he announced it was that event. Cause I, Birch is yelling at me for it. Um, sorry, Birch, if you're listening to this, um, he announced to the crowd that they were going to put the ND logo at the 50 yard line for field turf. And I tweeted it. And Birch came over and was like, by the way, all that was off the record. And I'm like, he just said it in a ballroom full of people. There's no like, <laughs> and Kelly sees Birch talking to me and walks over and goes, what did I do now? Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe he did the architecture thing too. That's three Brian Kelly. I'm just saying, if one, you're talking to Brian in Kelly one in a single golf, outing, golf outing. like just turn it down a little bit on the seriousness. But I mean, look. Bruce Feldman, who does a great job of these lists, uh, Pete Thamel does a great job of these lists. They both sort of came out with like their their assistant coaches on the rise this week. Uh, Freeman was number two with Feldman. I know he was. I think it was top five with Thamel. Um, Bruce also had Lance Taylor at number eight, Brian Pullian at number eighteen. No Tommy Reese, but Thamel had Reese at twenty. Um, they're like. I sort of interpret, and I this is a roundabout way to say Kelly's quote. I took as he's going to be the next coach, and then in parentheses hired off of my staff. Um, yeah. Then, yeah, like Marcus Freeman will be probably be the next head coach from this current staff. That doesn't mean it's going to be at Notre Dame, um, but there is absolutely nothing that Marcus Freeman has done, like. And, you know, we've talked to people with hell, we've had Marcus Freeman on the show, um, you know, talking to people in the Goog, outside of the Goog, talking to players, talking to other coaches, like he has sort of pitched a perfect game so far. Um, and I under, I understand sort of the fan, like when I did a fan survey in the summer or no, it was like oh, yeah. late spring, mm-hmm. the sort of who will replace Brian Kelly or who do you want to replace Brian Kelly? Marcus Freeman won it. Um, he displaced Clark Lee, who won it a year earlier. So it's um, I understand like the intrigue and the energy around Marcus Freeman, and like it is all real and legit and earned. But um, that's still a big difference. Like Lincoln Riley was not named Bob Stoops' successor before he coached a game. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Um, Ryan Day, like Ryan Day, actually was the interim head coach at Ohio State before he was named Urban Meyer's successor. Like. Marcus Freeman has yet to coach a game. I think it will go well once that happens, but that's that's a road that needs to be traveled before you can come to any conclusion, any like even remotely similar to this. 
Do we want to, I, I took it the same way you did. I mean, like we know Brian Kelly, or at least know how to interpret Brian Kelly in public settings. And we know usually what he means instead of what he actually says. And I took it the same way. He's going to be the next head coach. Come on, Notre Dame staff, wherever that may be. Um, Bruce's list also had Mike Elko and Tyler Stockton, who's going to be a good, really, well, he already is a really good coach, but he's going to be a head coach very soon somewhere. Notre Dame fans remember him. Um, do we want to, and I know there's like so many moving parts, and if we did this a year ago for Duke basketball, none of us in a million years would predict who actually succeeded Coach K or Roy Williams, for that matter, in North Carolina. Do we want to like just for the fun of it right now, predict where like each of these guys next steps are? Yeah. I mean, in the sense of like, where, where will Marcus Freeman go next and when? Yes. I, I feel like there's a power five job out for him before Brian Kelly retires. Um, don't you? I mean, the, the idea I mean, of Mark- he, interview, he interviewed for Illinois last year. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean as a group idea, of five coordinator. The idea of him staying at Notre Dame for, I'd say it would probably take three years, right? Because at three years, at least you would know, like, okay, this is the last year. Okay, I'll, I'll stay on as an assistant one more year because, like, I know what's coming down the pike here. I mean, that, that would be very good for Notre Dame, right? Like, that's your ideal scenario. Um, it, because at that point, you, you've – you've seen enough of Marcus Freeman to make a judgment. And if you feel like, no, this isn't the guy, then so be it. Um, you can live with sort of him moving on to replace Brett Bielema or Jeff Brom or I don't, I don't Jim Harbaugh, I guess. I'm not really sure. Like who know, who knows where he will go next, but I, I feel like he's probably here for this season and next season. And, th- and then probably you have to make some kind of decision. Yeah, this season's obviously going to dictate, you know, the the timing. Um, I, I would never say he's going to be one and done, but I mean, look, they go eleven and one and have a top ten defense. His phone's going to be ringing off the hook. It's already ringing off the hook when he was at Cincinnati. I mean, yeah. Um, I don't. I, I'll just say now, I don't think him or Tommy Reese will be here three years from now. I think they'll both be head coaches elsewhere by then. Um, I think Freeman sooner because he's older. Um, I mean, if I'm either LA school right now, I mean, both coaches enter the season That's on the hot seat. Point. AD at UCLA, Martin Charman knows Marcus Freeman from his time at Ohio State. Mm. AD at USC, Mike Bone hired Luke Fickle and Marcus Freeman at Cincinnati before he got there. I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to, you know, have him leaving we town did, before he. I mean, gets, we just spent five minutes on how know. optimistic you were about the season, and then you're just you're. That's optimist. You go raining all over. <laughs> Um, like, like those are like, inter- those are interesting points about the LA schools because I just sort of looked at Marcus Freeman as a Midwest sort of draw a circle around the Big Ten and Notre Dame. Um, but you make a good point, like in that kind of market, like people would pay attention, especially if you're UCLA, right? Like, yeah, USC maybe you could be a little bit more picky at UCLA. Like, you need somebody to move the needle. Marcus Freeman would do that. Well, I, I look at a guy like Tommy Reese. And like, I want to know what's in his brain first, just because he's so young. He's so smart. We've seen coaches that age make become head coaches either before they're ready or go to places where they were not set up to succeed. And that Mm -hmm. can really be a one step forward, two step back type of move for your career. Like Tommy Reese, Chicago guy through and through office coordinator of a playoff team in Notre Dame. Northern Illinois is one of the best, probably the best Mac job there is. 
and they have a coach who's probably going to be on the hot seat if he goes three nine this year. Thomas Hamick, like, is that a job you take if you're Tommy Reese? I don't know. He's probably making more money right now at Notre I Dame doubt it. than he is at NIU. But I mean, that that's where. Now, do I think he's ready for Northwestern? Probably not. If Fitz leaves and goes to the Bears or something, which is the only place he would be going, he's not going anywhere else um, in college. Um, so I think it's it's as much about fit and where they belong as anything else. I mean, both guys. Um, I, don't, I don't think Mark is actually coaching NFL, but I know he, you know, was sought after to join Mike Frable's staff two years ago right. in Tennessee. Tommy obviously has spent time with the Chargers, has a lot of connections. Obviously, Nick Sirianni, the new um, Eagles head coach, was kind of a mentor to him when he was out in San Diego. Um, Knows McVeigh in L.A. as well. Yeah, I mean, I just think both, both guys are going to have a lot of options and probably already have been super picky about what they're going to do mm-hmm. and can continue to be super picky about what they're going to do. But um, I, I wouldn't predict either is here three years from now. No. And I, I mean, the, the question with Reese will be pro or college Freeman, right. uh, Freeman. I think that that's already been answered. Like he's, he's a home run college head coach. Um, not that he couldn't be a very good pro coach as well, but um, you know, and then we'll see what I talked to Brian Pullen the other day for a story I was working on. Like he's, very upfront and like it was articulated, I thought in Bruce's list, like if, if there's a, a Mac Bowling Green Akron level type of job, like he would jump at something like that. Um, I'm not Thought sure. he had Bowling Green last time. Yeah. You know, Lance Taylor, does he want to drop down a level to kind of like Sunbelt type of stuff to go back to the South? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't, it's not somebody that I know well enough to even sort of speculate on that. So it's a, um, it does feel like a talented staff, though. Um, you know, this is you want multiple assistants showing up on these kinds of lists um, because that means you've got some good teachers, some good coaches, some good recruiters. You know, Freeman has a chance to be like an elite, elite recruiter and a very, very good coach. So it's a good uh, it's a good place for Notre Dame to be. But um I would not spend too much time worrying about Brian Kelly's commentary while wearing golf shorts at Lake Tahoe to Steph Curry about uh, Marcus Freeman being his ultimate replacement, which again, it could happen. But if it does happen, let's not spend so much time on this golf pro-am interview that he did in what, June or July of this year. We did this whole conversation without even talking about like the proof in the pudding that is Clark Lee, sub 40 year old three and out nerdy assistant. Who's a head coach at an sec school right now. I mean, that if he so much as makes a bowl game within three years of Vanderbilt, like that conversation about succeeding Kelly might start and end with him. It That is very possible. And um, just as a tease, I probably should have some pretty good insight on that um, about nine days from now. Um, so I'll be spending a little bit of time in Nashville next week. Notre Dame's game by game. I don't know how much time you want to spend actually analyzing the schedule. If you have any like serious thoughts on Toledo, but um, I hope I can watch it. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, Florida State. Your your thoughts? Notre Dame. Um, yeah, as, as a college football fan, I'm rooting for Mackenzie Milton. I hope he wins a job and hope he plays because that's just an awesome story. Um, but I just I, I think Florida State still. Definitely a year away on that offensive line and probably a year away from punching above its weight in a game like Notre Dame. I mean, I think they'll go bowling and I think they'll be on the upper half of the ACC for whatever that's worth this year. And they'll be emotionally charged by the national television primetime crowd hosting a playoff team. But uh, I mean, I just 
I think Notre Dame wins that one by 10, 14 points. I, I'm sort of coming around to like Louisville 2019 replay kind of vibe where the game has some tension in it early on, but does is a is a very sort of languid fourth quarter because you know you know it, you're just running out the clock at that point. So I'm not saying it's not a trap game because I think in the first it's, quarter in the first quarter it's gonna feel very trappy. It's the test effect. Every game he yeah. calls. I tweeted when they announced him for the Texas game, this is like my only good Twitter moment ever. I said, oh, Tess is calling the Notre Dame Texas game. Prepare for double overtime. And it's the one time people ever like <laughs> dug up something good on someone. They're like, Matt, how'd you know this? I'm like, well, I wish I bet it because I guess I look pretty smart there. Maybe that's another tease with Joe Tess for a pod a week from now. We'll see. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if that's a bump that we want uh, <laughs> covering Notre Dame at a night game. Uh, it's it's finally, does, does Freeman cause a Shamrock bump since the Kelly interview came out? after? So. All right. We'll, we'll ignore Tommy's appendicitis. Yeah, and, um, <laughs> I think so. He's totally fine. I mean, he bounced back right away. That's Mike, Monica, Mike Monica, White Sox, Lily World Series. I mean, a lot of good stuff happening. You better come on the show. Uh, Toledo, I have no thoughts on other than like they have 87 seniors, um, but is is a classic like what are we even doing here if Notre Dame is challenged in that game? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the better, more consistent MAC programs, really good coaching staff, but yeah, they're not. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's Toledo. It's it's a good litmus test for the Notre Dame fan. Let me put it that way to put this game on Peacock Premium um, to see how many tune in for all four quarters. Uh, Purdue would have been more interesting if they hadn't made a change of defensive coordinator um, <laughs> and Bob Diaka was making his return to Notre Dame Stadium. However, uh, they did. So it, there's not a lot of storyline here. Um, Purdue named, I think, Jack Plummer as a starting quarterback today. That should have really no impact on this game for Notre Dame. Um, this is this is also sort of in the what are we even doing here realm uh, if Notre Dame is challenged. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, Jeff Brom does have a bag of tricks, and he's not shy about deploying them. Um, he has come up with some very big upsets, Ohio State chief among them, yes. during his time at Purdue. But um I, don't know. I wouldn't say the novelty is worn off on that, but I, I don't know how they're going to hang with Notre Dame. I just don't. But they, you know, I take that back. They, they, have, they have a good defense. They have some good defense players. George Karlaftis, I mean, was a five-star. Yeah, very good defensive player. Lived up to the billing. Um, <clears throat> I, so I, I don't want to completely throw shade at Purdue, but uh, that's a game where kind of like the Florida State scenario you just mentioned. Um, I, I don't know if I call it tension because it's a home game for Notre Dame. I, I could see Purdue – making a game of it for a half or so before eventually being worn out. Wisconsin, um, Soldier Field, Shamrock Series. Uh, I had somebody texting me today about ticket prices for that, and just he was having kittens. He was so upset that uh, the secondary market was as brutal as it already was. But that will be – that's going to be the best environment that Notre Dame plays in this year. Um, that's that's going to feel like a – almost like, I think, college football playoff level um, in terms of – the vibe around it um, where both fan bases are incredibly invested and hopefully a, well, it would be much more fun if it was kicking off at 8 PM, but it's 11 AM local. Are you going to make a prediction or what? (laughs) I, I, this is one of those games where if, if you pick Notre Dame, then you're sort of on the slope to 12 and 0, which I don't want to get on yet. Um, So I'm going to pick Wisconsin. Um, but I don't feel confident 
at all about it. Um, it's it's one of those like it makes no like I don't look at Notre Dame and feel like yeah twelve and zero no problem. Um, so there has to be a loss somewhere. I feel like Wisconsin is a good spot for it. Um, you know the Jack Cohn Graham Mertz thing. I don't think is while kind of a, a good narrative story. I don't think it has a huge impact on the game itself. Um, and you know that to me this is sort of like a big proving night or proving proving morning uh, for Tommy Reese as an offensive coordinator, because this is a very, very well coached and talented defense. Um, if Notre Dame wins this game 17, 12, like that will be a good win, but I don't think it's going to prove a whole lot. If you're kind of one of those people looking for Reese to sort of take the next step offensively. Um so I'll, I'll pick Wisconsin for now. Uh, I absolutely reserve the right to change this uh, in a month. I got no problem if they win a low-scoring slugfest like that. And think, In fact, I think that would be pretty fitting when you look at the makeup of both teams, uh, both defensively and offensively, particularly up front. I mean, nothing would scream Big Ten West, Chicago, Soldier Field, Lakefront, <laughs> better than 17-12. That, you said it's going to be the best environment Notre Dame plays, and that's going to be the best environment Soldier Field's had since, I don't know, uh, whenever the Packers and Bears are both good at the same time, which is hardly ever. Um, I'm going to take Wisconsin right now for the same reasons you did. I, I, I just I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I know if I pick Notre Dame to beat Wisconsin, at least right now, there's like no way I'm not picking them to go undefeated, and I just I can't bring myself to do that this far out with all those new faces, despite all the good things I just said at the beginning of this podcast about Notre Dame. I, I can't go there yet, but I mean, it's, it's, I'm really, I, obviously the Clemson game was the Clemson game, but like, this is one of those games where I've just been really, really excited about it. And last year's obviously it got canceled for a very long time because the programs are just very, very similar in mm-hmm. how they operate, how they play. Um, you obviously have the, the, the personnel intrigue here with, you know, Kramer taking Jack Cohn's job, et cetera, et cetera. But um, true neutral site, uh, that'll be a fun tailgate scene, fun, like seeing who's outnumbering who in, in that regard, too. Um, I think Wisconsin's like a three or four point, like early favorite from last I saw, um, which I guess is appropriate because I just feel a little bit better about them right now than I do Notre Dame. October 2nd, Cincinnati, um, particularly if Notre Dame did lose to Wisconsin, the pressure on the Cincinnati game, I think, will be immense. Um, I think it could feel heavy in the way that the Virginia Tech game did from two years ago, um, where there is just it just feels like everything is riding on it. And to me, this is a game where if Notre Dame won 17-12, I would say, like, yes, fine, like, not, not a game where you're worried about style points considering how many crossovers there are with Freeman, Kelly, Mickens, Denbrock. There's just a lot there. I, I like Notre Dame to win the game. I think it's going to be an ugly game. I would be surprised if anyone got to 30 points. Um, so kind of like a, a almost like a 23-17 kind of game. Uh, but, I, but I do like Notre Dame to – to win that. And at that point you're sitting there at four and one, you're looking at the rest of the schedule and feeling pretty good about yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think the, how the Wisconsin game unfolds will dictate the tenor of the Cincinnati game. I mean, we both have brought up that Virginia tech game in 2019 that came on the heels of like just an epic disaster report right. performance. I mean, I can't Miami in 2017 is probably the last time I can think of Notre Dame just flat out laying an egg, not showing up for a big stage. 
um, against a team they were more talented than uh, than. Whereas you know they lost a hard fought close game on the road to Georgia that year, and I didn't think any less of them coming out of it. Like I I think depends how the Wisconsin game goes because we we've seen Wisconsin blow people out of recent years too. I mean that that could happen. I don't think it will, but that I think will dictate the tenor of the Cincinnati game. Regardless, I just I hate to come off as like the bully toward the little guy, but like I just I look at the Cincinnati team. I know they've got a great quarterback, but I just don't see like a top 10 football team here. Maybe they're a top 10. I just don't I don't see them. I can't justify ranking them higher than Notre Dame the way they seem to be in every single poll right now. Like there's just like when it's power five against group of five, like it doesn't come down to the skill players. It comes down to game control, ball control and no one does that better than Notre Dame or maybe Wisconsin at the power five level. And I just it makes it pretty darn close to upset proof. I mean, it's going to take an epic meltdown, I think by Jack Cohn for Cincinnati to be able to come into Notre Dame stadium and win that game. And not to mention again, like back-to-back weeks where there are a lot of like intriguing stories within the stories. Like Marcus Freeman knows that team inside and out. I mean, I, mm-hmm. there is an advantage there. Like, you won't convince me otherwise. I know he didn't want to talk about it on the pod. He won't want to talk about it that week. But I I just don't see a path to victory for Cincinnati short of an epic meltdown by Notre Dame. That gets you to Virginia Tech, uh, Lane Stadium in Blacksburg on October 9th. I, I was pretty dismissive of this game in early summer. I think the more I've gotten into Virginia Tech, the more I feel like this could be a tricky spot for them. Um, but I do think Virginia Tech overall is a program like the trajectory under Justin Fuente is not good. Um, and it would not surprise me if this was a replay of the last time Notre Dame went there in 2018, where it's close at halftime and then they're just sort of bludgeoning them at, to a point where, you know, snap off a huge few explosive plays and the game's over. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> It's never a good sign when your athletic director has to come out <laughs> on Black Monday and hold a press conference to say why we're not firing you, which is exactly what, what Babcock, the Hokies AD, did for Justin Fuente last year. And you know that just seems like a program that, if it's not broken, it's damn near close to it. And like they open, I think Thursday or Friday night against North Carolina, things it could get off the rails really quickly for Virginia Tech this season. I know there's talent on that roster. I know they're better at quarterback now than they were the last time Notre Dame went there. Uh, the last two times Notre Dame played them, but the last time Notre Dame went there with Ryan Willis in 2018. Um, I, I, I hate to do this preseason, but like I, I think Virginia Tech is a lost cause right now. Like I just have a hard time seeing that program getting back on the fast track after all the bumps last few years. You are right. Like, yeah, they opened Friday against North Carolina and then two weeks later they they're at West Virginia. Uh, so it's, it's fairly conceivable that Virginia Tech could be two and two going into the Notre Dame game and their two wins would be middle Tennessee and Richmond. So it's, if that's, if that's the case, then there is going to be no lane stadium home field advantage. Right. Um, that crowd will probably be working against Fuente at that point. So that um, that that whole like road environment may be a non-issue, and at that point, I think that's like Notre Dame would cruise out of there. And then Notre Dame is off. They they host USC coming off the bye week. Notre Dame is excellent under Brian Kelly post open date. Um, I do think the matchup is not great for Notre Dame in terms of USC with a very experienced quarterback who I believe I believe that um, Dan Brugler had. 
or no, I'm sorry. It was, uh, I think it was ESPN's list of the top hundred players in college football. Um, Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis were both in the top 10. Um, Desmond Ritter, I think was in the top 20 Cincinnati's quarterback. This is, I feel like they will split these two games, USC and North Carolina, but I think they will beat North Carolina. I think they will beat USC. Um, and then North Carolina could be a bit of a slip. I'm going to go the opposite. Dane Brugler, actually, here's a plug. He's got his early um, big board coming out tomorrow. So by the time you read, the, listen to this podcast, you'll be able to read another guy who's benefited from the Shamrock bump uh, in the calendar year 2021, whatever year it was. Um, I'm going with the USC game being a loss, North Carolina game being a win. Um, I think similarly to you do, um, I, you know, it's hard to look at both games schematically player for player and knowing what we know about both programs and recent history about both programs, picking Notre Dame to lose. But I just feel like, you know, that they're both, yeah, they're both night games. Uh, the USC night game, I mean, Notre Dame only beat them by three points in 2019. Um, mm-hmm. And that was, yeah. I think. If, an and if, that, if there was a fifth quarter in that game, I think USC would have won. <laughs> well, Clay Helding could put that on his resume. If, yeah. um, <laughs> if it comes to it at the end of this year, I think USC is really, really talented. I think 2019 USC was in a really bad spot. I don't think they're in a bad spot right now. Obviously, he has to win and win big this year, but they've recruited really, really well. They've completely revamped that program from an operational standpoint um, within. And I think things break really well for USC this year. I mean, if you look at that schedule, they don't play Oregon. They don't play Washington. It's very easy to talk yourself into USC being undefeated, 6-0, going into this game. And if they are, that just adds a whole other level of hype, intrigue, and drama to what a rivalry that already has it by its very nature. Um, so I, I, I'll go with USC on that one. I'll go with Notre Dame against North Carolina the following week. Yeah, now, now I feel like I'm, I'm having second thoughts. I mean, they have a Matt Bayless protege as their strength coach and Robert That's Steiner, right. um, the hired off Notre Dame staff. So it's, I mean, that is, I mean, that's a compliment to what Notre Dame's doing, but it's also an indication that USC is probably going to be a lot better in the weight room than they were in the past. So you, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to see Notre Dame beating with with a secondary that needs some work, right? Like mm-hmm. we don't know what Cam Hart and Clarence Lewis can be. We don't know if Ramon Henderson and Tariq Bracey are going to hold up. We don't know if Houston Griffith is going to click on the way that he did last week for an entire season. With all that in mind, to to get Sam Howell and Keaton Slovis in back to back weeks, even though their their games are at home, seems like a lot, um, and so. I'll I'll go Notre Dame beats USC, but then has a letdown against North Carolina um, a week later. And then I don't know if we want to spend much time parsing Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Stanford, but I would expect Notre Dame, and this has been true certainly the last few years, to really turn it on at the end of end of the season, win those final four games. You finish 10 and 2, and at that point you're headed to I think either the Fiesta Bowl or is it the Cotton Bowl are the two at-large games this year? Sounds right. Um, don't quote me on that off the top yeah. of my head, but that does sound right. Uh, look, Navy's going to be a lot better. Last year's Navy went, I think, three and seven and didn't tackle it all at practice, and that showed um, yeah. in the season. Um, Virginia, I have no idea. I mean, they're always, like, good but not great. Now, Charlottesville, depending on what time of the day that game is and depending on what kind of season Virginia is having to that point, um, you don't know. I mean, I don't think Notre Dame's going to lose that game, but I think that, you know, could be a tricky game. Georgia Tech's Georgia Tech at home. Stanford, that used to be like the game every year. And 
last three or four years, it just really hasn't been. Um, last three years, I should say, or two. Never mind, didn't play last yep. year. Uh, I hope for like David Shaw's sake and that program's sake, they get back to being the intellectual brutality team that competes for Pac-12 titles every single mm-hmm. year because I think they were a fun team to watch and play and they were always a fun game for Notre Dame because there was always there was like a rivalry within the rivalry there there were a lot of the same kids going to both schools I think those guys hated each other a lot more as in from an individual standpoint than Notre Dame ever did with USC or Michigan or any of their other more traditional rivals um, but it, it hasn't looked pretty out of Palo Alto the last couple of years and until it does, I can't sit here and say that Stanford's going to beat Notre Dame. No, I'm with you on that. And by the way, it is the Fiesta Bowl or the Peach Bowl are the two yeah. sort of at-large um, New Year's Six games. I'll, I'll take Fiesta, due respect to the semi The semifinals are the Orange Bowl and the Cotton Bowl. So I yeah. would say that Notre Dame and the Fiesta would be just fine with me. Um, and, and at that point, you get a chance. Like the the – the tiebreaker on the season to me, and it, it, I don't, I in general do not like to put too much weight on bowl results um, outside of the, the playoff, but I do think beating a, a Florida or beating a Penn State, um, beating Oregon, a, t- a team of that stature would send Notre Dame into a very positive offseason that, that they will need because this roster will turn over quite a bit again and they open a year from now at Ohio state. So it's, it just, a comp- it's going to be a completely different set of circumstances, but to, to go 11 and two, to win a new year six game. I think that, I don't know if you feel this way, but my point of view is like Notre Dame is not to the point where like, if you don't make the playoff, the season was a, a mess. Um, that's reserved for Ohio state, Alabama and Clemson. And that's it. Every, everybody else has a little bit of wiggle room if they don't make the playoff, maybe Georgia doesn't, but um that to me that would be a, a very strong very very strong season with the the questions Notre Dame has to answer the schedule I have to play and just sort of you look over a five-year period they would have won 10 games five straight seasons Brian Kelly would have broken Newt Rockney's all-time wins record um and you know at that point you're you're gearing up most likely for the Tyler Buckner era to, to launch a year from now yeah I agree I mean I, I don't think you can operate that way playoff or bust um, when you're an independent, right? Like you have a different slate of opponents every year. You don't have like, like if you're a power five team and your expectations to win a conference title, then ergo you win the conference title, you're probably going to the playoff four out of five times. Um, I can understand why even, you know, Oklahoma would, would operate that way. Right. Um, I don't think you can operate that way with Notre Dame. I think if they win a major bowl game and they would get there with likely a 10 and two record or better, um, that would be a tremendously successful season. Um, One part, I don't know how to like forecast this, um, but as we kind of like skimmed over the November slate there, I do wonder, and I wonder about this more from Notre Dame standpoint, because they're going to be heavily favored in all those November games and therefore will be more vulnerable. How does NIL impact like end of season for teams that are not mm-hmm. in the playoff picture? If we're talking about a eight and two or nine and one Notre Dame team that we know is not going to get in, like, uh, you know, do you worry about guys checking out? And this isn't a Notre Dame problem. This is a yeah. teams with talented players problem. But we're only like five years removed from opting out of bowls being like World War Three in college football. And it's like, no, that's fine. Like, go get paid. Yeah. Um, now that they're already getting paid, I wonder what the investment will be, generally speaking, around the country and how that will maybe impact, you know, end of season games that 
aren't the sure things they look like. Yeah, no, right it's, now. I think it's, that's an interesting point. I, I don't know if NIL will have a whole lot to do with it. Um, I just think it, it's just going to be the next step in players realizing, wait a minute, I can play in this exhibition or I can sort of get ready to get paid, paid. Um, you know, if you're Kyle Hamilton this year, Michael Mayer a year from now, that's, that's just a, a different set of math problems to solve. So I, I don't know how that dynamic will change, but if you're a, if you're a first round pick, those are the, those are the guys that are opting out, right? Like mm-hmm. the other guys are making bad choices. Um, but if you're a first round pick and you opt out, NIL is not going to have anything to do with it. Cause that's, that's, that money is insignificant compared to what you'd be making at the next level. Yeah, no, it's more about like, not saying he's going to do this, but Kyron Williams would be draft eligible yeah. and running backs, get a lot of workload, like get a lot of miles on them. And you can mm-hmm. save some of that by sitting out at, you know, I don't know. I think it will, we'll, we'll all learn about these things kind of in the moment and they will evolve as they naturally do. But I do think that's a, an aspect to this that uh, will come into play for some major team at some point down the line this year, whether it's Notre Dame or elsewhere. Uh, we've gone pretty long. We didn't talk at all about the Alliance, which I'm fine with. I've read it and spoken enough, enough about it. I but think, like, is it Notre Dame already in the, like they're in the they, Alliance? No, they're, yeah, they're, they're in it. Okay. Um, they count as non-conference games. Uh, but for the sake of fun, I was going to say, what's like the one Alliance game you want to see Notre Dame schedule that you haven't seen yet? And they've, I mean, it's Big Ten. They're in the ACC and it's Big Ten and Pac-12 who they have rivals with pretty regularly. So right. there aren't a whole lot of options, but what's like a home and home out of that, that three conference group that we haven't gotten all that often that you would really want to see. If the Alliance is going to make any difference at all uh, for Notre Dame scheduling, I would love to see them do a home and home with Oregon. Um, that's part of the country that I have not been to a whole lot. Um, if you told me Notre Dame was doing a home and home with Washington again, I would be completely fine with that. Um, but a different Pac-12 school other than Stanford or uh, USC. That's, you know, UCLA would be, a- UCLA ASU, would be fine. I say ASU yeah. for that matter, too. ASU um, was fun. Um, I do not need to go to Utah. Uh, I do like Colorado, but I'm not sure that I need a home-and-home home, uh, with that one. Uh, Washington State, no. Oregon State, no. Um, Cal is on the schedule anyway, right? Like that's that's a, a future alliance game uh, coming to South Bend. So there's it's it's really it's it's a question of geography, right? But if you compare geography with a brand like Oregon, Oregon has to be the choice there because otherwise, like the games that I really want to see from like a a bigger picture schedule with Notre Dame are mostly SEC teams: Florida, sure. Auburn, Alabama, um, A and M's coming on. Um, I would I would not. Right. But there's like there's nobody in the ACC. There's nobody in the Big Ten. The really, the question of the alliance is really like Pac-12 schools that are not UCL, USC or Stanford. Those are those are where you would have some a chance to sort of like make some hay. I think from a attractive non-conference matchup point of view. Yeah, it's definitely Oregon for me. No question about it. I don't. They've never played each other, right? At least not in my lifetime. Um, uh, I believe they have. Play, they have played each other. I think um, Auburn is sort of like the marquee game that's never been played. Um, but I couldn't not, tell you when the Oregon game actually. Yeah, not not since Oregon's been like good and relevant. No, <laughs> that's for no, sure. No, no, no. Um, that would be one. Um, I'd love to see the leprechaun and puddles the duck go at it on the field. Um, you mentioned Washington State, which wasn't on my radar. They actually look. Everyone loves talking about the Palouse and what a fun place is to play. Mike Leach was still there, and they were still 
hanging 50 every week, that would have been a fun kind of social experiment. I'm definitely going with Oregon. And then like the rest are kind of like stuff they already play. So I would say right. Iowa or Nebraska. I know Nebraska. They Iowa's a good one. Years ago. But I would I, like- Iowa City looks like an awesome yeah. environment. I've never been there despite living pretty close to it. And that place is just a death trap. Like they win so many games there. They have no business winning because they have such a great home field advantage, whether it's Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, um, the year they were really good under Harbaugh in 16, like that would be a fun one. And there'd be a lot of, I mean, be like Wisconsin a little bit, but um, just at, on actual campus venues, that'd be fun. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. Well, that's it for this episode of the Shamrock. We've previewed the entire season, but you should still listen to this podcast the rest of the year. So we both uh, say 10 and 2. We both say 10 and 2. Right. Um, I, and I'm not sure if we have like a real point of contention like we did last year where I said Notre Dame was going to beat Clemson in November and you were certain that they were going to lose. Because um, I don't, I don't right. know. If, three, I don't, months, three or five weeks later. <laughs> I don't know if you like, yeah, USC North Carolina split is quite that, uh, quite that interesting, but we will be back next week to sort of get into the nuts and bolts of Florida state. Um, and then like last year, we plan to record our post-game podcast in the dead of night afterwards. Um, so I, I will probably be at a micro tell on the north side of Tallahassee at that point. Matt will be, I don't know, are, are you going to a game on that Sunday night? Hopefully you'll be back in your well, There are no Chicago games on Sunday condo. night. Yeah. Right? Um, no, I'm going to game Thursday and Friday. Uh, I'll be home Saturday, Sunday. Okay. Yeah, we'll have a lot. We should have a pretty good uh, volume of college football to talk about since I think we're gonna we're gonna see at least four games live. Let's say, uh, can you get Clark Lee on post game <laughs> for the Vanderbilt? Yeah. If they crush East Tennessee, then uh, perhaps he would be more willing to come on and break down. He could, yeah, he could break down uh, Notre Dame, Florida State for us in a Zoom box. But um, yeah, a lot of Shamrock podcasts coming your way a couple times a week throughout the season. We'll get back into the habit of having guests. Uh, once the season gets rolling, hopefully we'll have a guest next week, but we're, uh, we're waiting to hear back from that one. But um, yeah, thanks for being with us on this episode of the Shamrock. We will talk to you next week as uh, Notre Dame finally enters game week of the 2021 season preparing for Florida state. He's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us. Mm-hmm.